hello everybody. It's a great pleasure. You like, like you guys have no idea. Uh, it's one of the people that I have been looking up to for, for many, many, many years. And finally I have a opportunity and I'm so glad that I invited him and he accepted my invitation to have this podcast together and talk dogs, science and whatever else the conversation takes us to. Um, I want to introduce you to uh, Roger Abrantes. He is a, he has a PhD in etology and evolutionary biology. He has written, I believe, 27 books. By the way, we will list all his credentials, accomplishments, and how to get a hold of him, of course, as always, on the bottom of the podcast. Um, one of the most famous books that probably if you are involved in dogs and dog training, there is no way you have not read that book or you do not own it. And this is the, the dog language encyclopedia, which is actually right behind Roger at the moment. Um, another of the, the, his books, he's originally from Portugal. I would let him speak a little bit about himself and how everything started, but he's originally from Portugal. He has written the 27 or so books in, in many different languages. The most popular in English are, again, the Dog Language Encyclopedia, the Evolution of Canine Behavior, and his latest book, Animal Training My Way. Roger also runs the Etology Institute. If you've ever been on, on Facebook, you probably have got some connection and at least some hints of, of the interesting topics that I talk about always there. Um, as I said, that's going to be also included in the uh, links that we will provide from you. He's interested in anything that has to do with learning and behavior. He has trained dogs, cats, wolves, and everything probably in between. Very, very accomplished in, in it's not, it, what, what is very interesting and what I really admire is that it's not just a laboratory and just dry theory experience that he has. He, he, he has done, um, uh, he, he's very heavily knowledgeable and involved in detection. He actually did some with rats that was, uh, it's very popular and he's been in the search and rescue organizations helping around the world, some in like the Swiss teams and so on, which are very, very heavy on this. Uh, he has helped the special police forces in Portugal, which is where he's from. And yeah, I, I can just keep going on and on, but uh, anything else that I'm missing that it's important, Roger, for our conversation. Thank you again for joining me this time. And thank you for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be here. I you said that I was uh, Portuguese. I, I I am a little bit mixed, you know. Mm. Um, I have a double nationality. I'm also Danish, by the way, Danish and Portuguese. Okay, okay. And my family, um, my ancestors uh, came from Macau. So I'm also a little bit Asian. Interesting. Um, so I am, I'm really, I, I used to say I'm a citizen of the world. That's that's how it should be, all of us. Macau, the last time I was there was two years ago. And 
So where where do you reside right now? Are you in Portugal or do you go back and forth? I go back and forth between uh, Portugal and uh, Denmark uh, right now. Yeah. Very well, right now we have the COVID, so it's a little bit more difficult to um, to travel. But um, uh, I I I really um, you know uh, spend a half time in Portugal, half time in Denmark. So before we get into some deep, serious conversations in some rabbit hole. How, how did you get involved with dogs specifically? Like, was that your first thing that you went into the science or, or how did it all happen? It was very accidental. Like I think most things in life or at least in my life, uh, I, I was um, a, a student of, um, I had finished uh, my studies in philosophy and I was a study of biology. And I was interested in uh, in having more uh, hands-on, uh, you know, understanding of of behavior, of of um, animal behavior, of learning, and um, you know, the easiest of the time for me. And it was to get a dog, and then to get two dogs, and then uh, begin experimenting a little bit with them. I remember I went to training and and. Um, and I, I, after some sessions, I, I was a little bit unhappy about that because uh, it was nothing of what I expected. Uh, look, I, I came to it with a, with a student's mind. So I, I was expecting them to give me um, some principles, some explanations, and there was nothing. Look, we're talking about uh, 1982, 81, 82. So it's a long time ago. So I decided to go home instead and um, try to see what I could find to read about it, to learn. There was not much at the time. Now th there is, a, a, I don't know, a zillion books about the training, as you know. <laughs> yeah. But there, were, there was not much at the time. So um, I started to, I, I decided, okay, so let me go to, to the more fundamental and, uh, you know, start learning about, um, I, I was studying biology at the time, uh, so ethology was normal for me, but but learning theory was not, so I had to make um, uh, my, my own studies in learning uh, theory, so I started with uh, everything, starting from uh, Pavlov, Watson, Thorndike, Skinner, you know, everything you can imagine. And then I trained my own dog uh, myself, um, at the time, uh, a little cocker spaniel, female, and um, and uh, I, I went to you know I was member of a club, so I went to the final um, um, competition day uh, in in the club uh, and uh, to participate with my dog, and uh, and we we won, um, uh, and it was a big surprise for for everybody because. Uh, they have never seen a, a cocker spaniel uh, win a competition, uh, an English cocker spaniel. Do, do not confuse them with American, please. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and on top of that, uh, uh, you know, a long-haired guy with uh, blue jeans. Uh, it was not exactly what they expected. Uh, well, now I don't have any hair, but I had at the time. Um, it was not what they they expected. And uh, it's how it started because then people came and uh, asked me, how did you do that? Because it was so good. We actually got ma max points uh, at the, uh, in that competition, I remember. And, um, and then I just uh, explained what, what, what uh, I've done. And then people came and asked me, oh, could you, could you please help me with this? And then, yeah, well, yeah, let's meet Saturday afternoon or something like that. 
So, so that's uh, basically our, our, how it started, thanks to my um, little uh, cocker spaniel, Petrina. I will never forget her. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. And then, you know, one thing brings the other, and uh, suddenly I was involved in um, training animals, which I never thought that, that I, would, um, I would do. I continued my studies, of course, and my main interest is not training at all. Um, actually, when people ask me, um, sometimes wh wh I say it's going to come as a surprise for you. But actually, I don't even I don't like so much to train animals uh, because you know I've been doing it all my life. I said what I like uh, in it is I like to understand the animal. I like to interact with the animal that fascinates me, and I like to see how I can change the animal behavior, but also how the animal changes my behavior because it's it's a feedback it's a feedback loop constantly go, going forth and back so it's how we started you know and then uh, from from dogs i went into horses and uh, cats and uh, you know rats in africa uh, guinea pigs and, you know everything and always learning always trying to to become a, li a little less ignorant for every day <laughs> yes this is you know actually this is a very similar story the only difference i i don't have the phds i did not i i really stuck with the dog training but eventually i i had a, my first dog that i really started to be like oh this is exciting there is so much into this it was a collie it was i mean again it was back in the 80s and i was back in bulgaria the cold war Russian style military training and I had this female collie because it was the Lassie era, you know, and and just like you, I, I, I realized that I have this talent and I went and I won a bunch of competitions and all of a sudden Bulgaria was just too small and I had to run, I mean, literally escape the communists and go to, to Europe, to Belgium to, you know, to, to do chase my dreams. And it was much, much later that I, I wanted to know what, why is it working what I'm doing? And that's how I got into the science. So, so in your case, like... Um, but Ivan, Ivan, let me just tell you one thing. Uh, yeah. I, I, don't worry about you said I don't have a PhD. Well, that's only a piece of paper, okay? Uh, the knowledge behind it, it's important. <clears throat> the piece of paper, <clears throat> I don't give anything for that. Yeah. Uh, that's just uh, uh, you know a recognition from a, a group of people. Uh, well, who cares about that? What I care about is the the, the knowledge and the the, the open mindedness, the uh, self criticism that we have shown. You know, um, so I would say, uh, yeah. and the experience, of course. You know, how you process so, it. So, like, I, I will just kind of give a little. Just a little introduction, and then and then I'll just let you hear it because that that's definitely your specialty. But uh, like for 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 the my audience, the people that don't know, we talk a lot about evolutionary psychology, behaviorism, etology, um, and etology is a you know it's it's really like when when we decide there there is this mega question about what drives behavior right is it nature is it nurture is it inherited is it learned this is always the big topic and as a dog trainer depending how you handle this you can hit a wall 
and do really dumb things because you're fighting genetics that are programmed not to accept your idea, or you can find a way to guide it. And, and if you know anything about Conrad uh, Lawrence, Nico Tienberger, you know, they, these are the, the leading forces that started at, I believe, early thir- 1930s. And uh, it, it started almost at the same time with the behaviorism, with John Watson and Trondike and Skinner. And, and so the behaviorism had that mm, idea that we all come out born as a blank slate. And then everything is about punishment and reinforcement, no matter what, to where Etology really is about uh, how um, uh, uh, Nico Tinbergen says it's the study of uh, uh, what was the like to 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 speak their own language. Yeah. It's an interview, but you have to speak their own language, yeah. meaning you have to observe the animal in its own surroundings in order to understand it, just like. Uh, um, you know, you don't you don't study a dolphin in a bathtub, and there is a reason why the horse is born with hooves, and and so on. This is this is what etology is about. But uh, the it's probably the main reason I really wanted to talk to you um, because uh, somehow I don't know why, but we're still we meaning the whole dog training community somehow really very stuck believing that we can change and do everything through reinforcement and punishment and still go with the the idea that it's it's so outdated of 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 watson saying that there are no instincts it's amazing how how this whole uh idea goes and it also surprises me a little bit because um um, because there is so much more to it. Yes, and it becomes very dangerous. It really, if we don't understand what comes from the genetic programming versus what is learned, as a dog trainer, we can do more damage than good. Yeah, but I can give you an example uh, of, of uh, you know, you, you say you don't understand. Well, uh, I, I think the, the reason why uh, you know, the, the, uh, as you said, reinforcements, uh, punishes, uh, schedules of this and that and uh, all that is so popular. It's because um, it's like a, a, a cookery book recipe, you know. You have the ingredients and uh, one do this, two do that, three do that, four, four do that, mix everything together, let it cool, serve it uh, in a certain way, you know. It's, it, it seems easy. It seems easy. And actually, dog trainers... It's not. It's not that easy. And actually, doctors these days, they have a, a, a tendency to maybe oversimplify it uh, to a point where they even miss the essence of behaviorism, if that's what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because le- we have to be, I don't even, I don't even believe they are doing uh, uh, justice to behaviorism. Behaviorism is much more than, than what they are um, using talking about they mix all the concepts together very few people these days know what the reinforcement is or a reinforcer and uh, nobody knows what the punisher is um, and they get emotionally involved uh, and and then everything goes uh, haywire you know 
the 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 difference to ethology is 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 enormous of course uh, even the terms are different uh, look in in ethology for instance there is no there are no reinforcers and punishers there are benefits and costs and benefits and costs can explain things that for instance behaviorism uh, that that uh, reinforcers and punishers cannot uh, for instance um, benefits uh, uh, long term long term and short term benefits you can talk about that but you cannot reinforce a behavior like uh, two hours later or three hours later you cannot explain or, or, or two years later you can exp you cannot explain that an animal does something now to be reinforced um, three months later um, you cannot but you can with the with the concept of uh, uh, in, in ethology with the, the short-term and long-term benefits. So we're talking about two different approaches. Um, and and uh, if you ask me, you know, I, I wrote the, the my, my, my last book was, is uh, Animal Training My Way, I called it. And then, then I, 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 the subtitle is Merging Ethology and Behaviorism. Because if you ask me, uh, you know, all, all my career, I thought actually it was impossible. I looked at ethology, it's here, behaviorism is there. They are totally uh, in incompatible. But I found out actually that you can uh, combine uh, the best of the two worlds. My approach is still uh, the approach of ethology. It's a more complex approach, but uh, it's one that I think also allows us for deeper explanations of, of what's happening and that feedback loop that we were talking about. You know, when I told you, uh, I, uh, I, I teach the dog something, the dog teaches me something. I change the behavior of the dog, the dog changes my behavior. And, um, uh, and if we combine that, that approach and, and, and uh, knowing, you also spoke about um, understanding the animal, the, the behavior of the animal, speaking the language of the animal, exactly. That is very important. If we combine that, with some of the, of the principles of, of behaviorism and we know how to apply them, then I think we have a, um, a good tool uh, to be able to, um, you know, to understand one another. You spoke yeah. about the, the language of the animals. You know, I, I, I'm probably one of the last uh, alive uh, students of uh, Professor Lorenz that attended his uh, lectures in person. And I remember that he used to, to tell us, if you want to understand an animal, you have to become its partner, he said. Yes, I have actually, yes. You know, understand the animal in, uh, for its own, what the animal is. Uh, and th that is the thing that um, no matter what species I work with, no, no matter what individual I work with, my first idea is not uh, I'm going to change your behavior. Uh, you're going to change mine. The first is let's understand one another. Let's see, do we have a common language? You know, like, um, oh, okay, this is okay. So let, let's see if we understand one another. And then we, we take it from there. And, and reason for the motivation and emotions and how emotions affect like behaviorism, at least the, the, the old school traditional behaviorism really i mean i mean i i am mind blown still that there's people really truly believe at least in dog training and i think there is something to do with social sciences and i think where you and i can perfectly speak our minds about everything i don't think neither one of us have any breaks uh, um, when it comes to science and and 
call it what it is, but uh, I think really social sciences in 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 it's a uh, the whole idea of be all you can be and no you're gonna work harder no you're gonna you you have everybody has equal chance and and completely disregarding genetic makeup completely disregarding your instinct and tendencies i think that ultimately hurt dogs and people yeah sure you can you cannot you you, you can and look, look we have the genetics we have the environment now we even discovered that we have something called epigenetics uh, to complicate things even a bit further but also to make them more interesting and um, of course, all that is, 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 we have to take that into, into consideration. Um, there are things that we cannot ask the animals to do because simply they cannot do, you know. Um, so uh, for me, it, it's right, uh, ob it, it's obvious uh, that, as you said, that we have to study the animal first and to understand the animal before we begin implementing any behavioral changes. But people are impatient. I know from our students, you know, our students at Ethology Institute, we start by giving them um, behavior, you know, ethology, uh, all that. And, and then we give them um, animal learning. But they are so um, impatient. They want, no, no, I, I want to train the animal. I want to, to train the animal. So uh, I always ask them, well, what do you want to do? You want to change the behavior of the animal? That's what you want. No, no, I want to train it. And they say, look, training is changing the behavior, right? Yeah, well, yes. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So how how come that you want to change the behavior of someone that you don't even know? You don't even know the animal. And, you know, sometimes, I, I, you know, we, we used to divide them into the, we call them the dog girls and the, the horse girls. We call them girls because 90% of them were girls, you know. So I used to say to the boys, sorry, guys, you are honorary girls in this context. <laughs> And um, and then uh, I said, okay, so you are horse uh, people and you are dog people. Okay, so for the first six months of our course here, you horse people, you are you're gonna work with dogs, and the others dog people, you're gonna work with horses. Oh, why? Why is that? And so on. Uh, that's what you're gonna do. No complaining. Uh, and then I promise you one thing: when you go back to your favorite species you'll be a much better trainer, much better. And um, they, they, they agreed with me six months later, or they said, wow, I learned so much. Now I can make my dog do this much easier. Now I understand my dog better. And the others too, they said, oh, now I understand my horse better. You know? and, then, and, and then, you know, what even when they, were, when they felt comfortable with horses and, um, and um, dogs, you know what we did? We gave them cats. That's and right. then the misery was complete. <laughs> that's that's uh that's I would say an ultimate challenge, right? <laughs> so, but how um, I, I'm I'm still curious. Like, how did etology snuck into you? Where where where? You know, uh, I I don't know. I, I I I evolutionary biology. You know, I came from philosophy. Remember that I came from philosophy. So philosophers, we like to speculate about things, you know, to think about things. So when I found out in, 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 in philosophy, actually, that I needed some, some knowledge about biology, otherwise I wouldn't be able to understand anything of, the, of what I was trying to understand. And I, I changed and, and uh, well, I, I finished philosophy, then I went to biology. Mm -hmm. Then in biology, what um, began to interest me most was the... Um, 
what the evolutionary aspects uh, yeah. of, 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 of everything, of life, of, of behavior. And then especially behavior interested me for some reason. I, I, I don't even know why, but it began to interest me. So I specialized, of course, in, in, um, in ethology. And I was very lucky because it was a time where we still had the Professor Lawrence and Tim Bergen, they were alive. And I had, have, I've had the incredible good colleagues that, that uh, probably you know, uh, Eric Zeman, uh, Fred Christiansen. Yes, I've heard their names. Fred, you yes. and I, we even uh, uh, lived not so far away from one another. So we very often could, uh, could, could meet and exchange opinions at the time. You know? That's, that's mind blowing. That's just mind blowing. And work with the wolves because Fred, you, um, Freddie and, and his uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, Brita Rothhausen, I don't know if, if you know the name, they, they got some wolves and uh, they, they started the wolf park and uh, they did amazing research there. And, and I was on, on, on my on, on ethology institute, not so far away, um, you know, like uh, two hours away by car. Um, I, had the, I was doing the research with them foxes and uh, dogs comparing so we were comparing all the behaviors of um, of all these animals i can tell if you want to i, I can tell you a a, a a very nice experiment with it i would love to i would love to we we try to see with the wolves dogs and foxes uh, which kind of reinforcers now to go to the um, to the behavioristic uh, language uh, they would prefer, and we had uh, uh, three types of reinforcers. We had the the, the uh, sound reinforcer emitted by us, uh, human, which was a word. We actually used the, the, the Danish word dukti, which means clever, but it has a good sound. And then we had the mechanical reinforcer, which was not a clicker, it was a whistle, but it's the same actually. So when people come to me these days and say, oh, I'm very modern, I use a, a clicker training. The, I say, modern, we were using, uh, not the clickers, but we were w using whistles in the beginning of the 1980s, you know? Yes. And then yes. the third was food, a food treat. So we tested all, all three with wolves, foxes, and dogs. And uh, some... Some, some surprising results, uh, uh, we, we, we reached some surprising results. For instance, the wolves, their favorite, which, which one do you think it is? Our voice, the I... whistle, or food? Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, my guess would be for some reason the voice, just because they would be more in-tuned and more observant of their environment. Stick to that one, Ivan, you're right. It was the voice. Yeah, it was the voice. And, um, and uh, 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 actually they, they would only accept food um, if, um, if they felt accepted by us, if they had built a relationship with us. So the voice was much more important for them. And we, I'm talking about wolf cubs. The, the, the first priority was to establish a relationship to us, to feel accepted, to feel safe. After that, they would accept food. And your, and your voice immediately gives away your emotions, which is what they need. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then they would accept food. And then if we trained them with the whistle, there was no problem. Uh, the foxes on the other side, 
uh, food was definitely number one. Uh, if you don't have food, they, they didn't care so much about our voice. And the, 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 the whistle worked like that. If you, you know, when you condition you, you, the whistle and food, whistle and food, whistle and food, you make the association, then you can use the, the whistle. The problem is that, or the clicker, we can talk about the clicker because it's the modern uh, equipment that you use. Yeah. Um, but if, we, if, if, you, if you, for, for a short period, uh, stopped pairing the, the, the clicker or, or the whistle with the foot, they would disregard the clicker completely. Um, so you really have to maintain the value of the, the, or the, of the clicker, yeah. of the whistle, by often pairing it with food. Yeah. yeah, it's what we would call high maintenance. Yes. And in the middle, we have the, the, the dogs, the domestic dogs. They were in the middle. So do you think, do you think that the foxes, just because they're not as, as social, yes. Yes. something to yeah. do? Yeah, that, that, that was our, our informed uh, guess at, at, at the time. Yeah, and, and we still stick to that. Uh, they, they, they are not, and you see, there comes genetics, as you were talking about. But not genetics like, uh, like in a simple way. We have to think about, about it in evolutionary terms. It's everything is an adaptation. The fox do not need, we cannot say, oh, so they are not as developed as wolves. No, that is not true. They are as developed as wolves, as dogs, or as humans. They just adapt it to, uh, to other circumstances, to other environments, and, and they don't need that. Because they don't need it, they don't have it. It's, it will be a waste, you know. The dogs were in the middle of the wolf and the, the fox. They would respond well to, to very well to, the, to our voice uh, reinforcer. They would respond well to food, of course. Um, uh, they, they responded better to food than the wolves if, uh, uh, before the wolves knew us, the cubs knew us, you know. Um, and the, and the, the, the clicker, the comparison between them and the foxes was that it, uh, we didn't uh, need to maintain it um, as strictly as we did with the foxes. We could, um, uh, once the, it was condi uh, conditioned as a conditioned reinforcer, we could use it for a long time without having to pair it. This was very interesting because it shows really the differences of, of, uh, of the, the species, of the animals, and the importance of uh, evolution, of the, the process of adaptation. I'm not talking about adaptation of the individual. I'm talking about adaptation in, in a more um, uh, general evolutionary sense. Yeah, wow. Yeah, this is super interesting. So, wow. By the way, um, do you want to hear another nice one? I, I can listen to him all day long. My, my colleague and, and friend, um, um, Britta Rotterhausen at the time, she said, it would be interesting to train a wolf to see how it would perform in a, a police dog test, you know, uh, protect, protection work. Um, no scent um, uh, no detection included. So she trained the wolf to do that. And she passed actually. She passed the the the, the test, and the, I don't know if if he, she's still there, but she and the wolf were in the Guinness Book of Records as um, the first wolf ever to pass the uh, police te a police dog test. 
Amazing. But you know what? Uh, I, I, the, the most difficult um, skill or exercise for the wolf, can you guess which one was in the protection work? Hmm. Obedience protection. It was a combination. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I tell you what it was. It was the 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 grabbing the bad guy. <laughs> you know why? Because it would do. If it would be um, uh, it, with with the with the British husband Fred, you no problem because they knew one another. They were yeah, mates, yeah. you know. But a stranger wearing that strange sleeve there, you don't go there and bite a stranger for fun. Yes, you're smart enough. If you are a wolf, not to That's get yourself the inhibition, in. you know, of biting. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't bite a strange because if I bite a strange, I only bite a strange for two reasons: either I want to to kill him or her, or or get rid of them forever, or because I want to eat them. That's the only two reasons to do it. And the wolf looked at the poor guy there with the sleeve, you know, and say, "I don't know that guy. I cannot do that." There is another reason for to bite which is not real bite and it's play play behavior social behavior and that's why that wolf had no problem in biting uh, freddy uh, because freddy was a mate was a friend you know i'm using mate now in the european term not american term okay i hope um, the, our listeners don't uh, are not implying that uh, i'm talking about mating in 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 a sexual uh, term yeah. I, if you're at for the for the for the listeners, if you read my books, I distinguish between mate and alien. A mate is someone uh, your your uh, um, survivor depends on, and an alien is someone that your survivor does not uh, depend on. It has nothing to do with um, with the sexual behavior. I even used to say quite the contrary: um, you don't need to mate your mate to be a mate. Um, uh, it's um, um, you know just a teammate in the sense right. of team teammate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 that 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 was the reason why the wolf would not go and bite the complete uh, stranger because it's not a play, and um, there is no reason to bite a stranger that I don't know. Yeah. And I obviously I cannot eat eat him, so I'm not going to do that. That was the most difficult. You know, all the other things that you have to do, the jumps and the, what um, was called obedience at the time, that was no problem for the wolf to do. Sometimes in those studies, and it's, um, I wish somehow we can do a little bit more of a broader, you know, study different, not, not just uh, one pack or one closed families of wolves but uh, I mean we know all, all of them even you know comparing the European to to some other parts of the world wolves they they they're still wolves but they still have their own niche and and, and um, but it's difficult I think it's very difficult to do studies like this to where what do you do afterwards you you take the wolf and you do all the studies and and then what do you do with it, right? That is the problem. And that's one of the reasons why um, um, Freddie and uh, Brita got stuck with so many wolves and, uh, and started the wolf park uh, because they had them. And actually, I can tell you that most of them, they got them uh, at the time. There is, a, there is a story there too. 
there was a, a, a movie being being uh, shot uh, and, and and they used some some wolves from from Poland and the, they finished the movie and uh, they didn't know what to do with the wolves they even uh, speculated whether they should uh, kill them yeah uh, you know and then Freddie and Brita got in and said no 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 we will take them and then suddenly they were stuck with a with a group of of wolves, um, and and that's when they they started to uh, to make the wolf park um, in in, yeah. in Denmark. So the the wolf park is still it's to present date it's still there and it's still going. No, it moved. It moved. Uh, it moved. It had to move. You know, uh, things like that tend to have lots of of uh, problems with the authorities about. Uh, regulations and uh, yeah. and unfortunately uh, um, you know m many local governments uh, do not really you know realize the value of, of having um, a research center um, uh, like this one it's always the, the same fight you know if yeah. it doesn't give money if it doesn't give money to the government it's not interesting <laughs> yes yes and especially if it's it's a little bit outside the trend of the ideologies that are running things definitely so I, I another question that I have that I'm I, I, I just have so many questions I hope I remember all of them but I, I I wonder how was it for you going through evolutionary psychology biology ethology I mean at the time that you were really going deep in it it was clear already that the behaviorism had huge holes. I mean, John Garcia and Carlos Monkeys and all those things were already there. Like how, how, um, how was it presented like at, at school and when, when you were going through, through uh, your PhD, how, how, how did you guys look at behaviorism at the time? Well, I, I was not very interested in behaviorism, actually. Remember, I, I'm, I'm a, an European, uh, well, right. uh, citizen of the world, but uh, most European. But did you touch it at all? As far as like, well, by the way, there is this thing that the Americans do. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. We 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 studied a little, a little bit uh, Watson, uh, Thorndike, mm -hmm. uh, Skinner, um, but not, I guess, uh, as as deep as as they would have done in in American um, uh, colleges, uh, for sure not. We we had our, our own tradition, the the ethology tradition of uh, von Fritsch, uh, Lawrence, Tinbergen. And so you were clearly already seeing that that that's not all it, there is. Oh yeah, oh yeah, there's no doubt about that. Actually, I had to uh, to to go much deeper into behaviorism later on because um, I I wanted to understand um, behaviorism and I wanted to understand the the, the flaws of the model mm -hmm. because all models have flaws. By the way, it's not only behaviorism; yeah. all models have flaws. Uh, models are only you know, very rough uh, ways for us to understand reality. Um, and, and behaviorism as it as well. Behaviorism is, is reductionist as, as all science is. And there is nothing wrong with being reductionist as long as you don't become greedy, mm -hmm. as long as you don't become a greedy reductionist, which means you want to explain too much with too little. 
Um, and I, and I think maybe that that is the problem that that we see these days. But but um, please, Ivan, we, uh, remember one thing: we really have to distinguish the behaviorism used by doctors these days. And uh, to be fair, to behaviorism, sure, 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 and the real behaviorism. Because I mean, if you go back to Skinner and Thorndike and so on, there are. Uh, uh, many good descriptions and amazingly good things. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, yeah. No, there is there is many, many, many. I mean, yeah. I I actually agree hundred percent. We would not be able to do what we do. They definitely have that piece of the puzzle that fits very, very well. But at the same time, they put a a hold on on understanding how we learn for a very long time too. And Pavlov, by the way, let's not forget Pavlov too when we speak about that. And uh, I can give you the example. Pavlov was uh, uh, done injustice uh, for quite many years, uh, starting with the uh, lost in translation, as I used to call it, because you can check it, uh, because I'm sure that you understand the Russian. If you read the uh, uh, Pavlov, he never wrote about conditioned reflexes. He wrote about conditional reflexes, conditional in Russian, uh, which is different from conditioned. And that doesn't do any justice to Pavlov because Pavlov's uh, philosophy was uh, that, uh, that everything basically was conditional, everything depending on certain conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes uh, really badly lost in translation when you speak about conditioned reflexes instead of conditional. Now I have to go back. I don't think I've ever actually go go back and read it in um, in Russian. I have it. I have it behind me in Russian. I do not read Russian, but I want to have the originals, and I go check and uh, and and uh, sometimes I uh, I ask people to help me with the with the translations. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. When when you want to go deep into something, we know very well that sometimes translation just kills it i know from my experience sometimes i would go and do some workshop or a course somewhere and make a presentation of any any way and i depend i mean you know you depend on the translator 100 percent. it's he's like he or she's the first one that's gonna either make the seminar right or it's gonna confuse people and then you know by the audience when you see those eyes it's like oh what what is the translation and i'm like okay something must have went wrong <laughs> oh i experienced that in uh, japan uh, where i i lectured and then suddenly i realized there was something wrong because the reaction of people was not the, the one that i expected and then in the break actually someone came and told me that uh, the translator was actually translating what i was saying completely wrong uh, so we have to have a talk about that Words are important. The way we formulate things are important. No doubt about that. The translation and the interpretation. But it's the same with learning. It's exactly not, you know, does apply the rules. Yeah, but you know what, Ivan? Everything is a question of uh, translation, of uh, interpretation, of uh, everything. You know, the way the way we see the world, we, we see the world in a certain... Let me give you the example of the colors. We see the colors we see and we... we um, believe in our um, human arrogance that um, the objects are the way we see them and they have the colors that we see them that's reality if you ask a bee a honey bee 
the honeybee will tell you, no, no, the, the, the colors are, you see, you guys, you see colors completely wrong. And why is that so? As an evolutionary biologist, I, 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 I firmly believe I'm, I'm, I'm more and more tending toward believing that evolution has not uh, uh, developed us to see reality the way the reality is. Evolution has developed as all organisms to see reality the way that it best increases their uh, inclusive fitness, which means you see the world that uh, suits you best, the one that um, gives you the greatest chance to survive and to reproduce. Um, and I do my way. And uh, if we do it differently, now imagine how a dog or a, a rabbit or a bee or a jellyfish or, on an octopus. Right. So I think we need this kind of humility. I think we, th we think to, uh, we, we, we need to be to be humble with them, with them, what we know and we do not know, and, and um, not to be go against a, a kind of absolutism, you know, things are the way they are. Uh, well, yes, they may be, but um, how are they? I'm not sure that uh, I have the right perception, uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I don't know, but somehow it made me think of. Uh now nowadays are artificial intelligence and how how we go back and forth from from okay this is how a, a living being learns and this is what's important and then how you can program and how you can actually go back and forth and both are benefit and we are really like skyrocketing as far as understanding learning because of artificial intelligence nowadays yeah and we're gonna have a problem one day a big problem because we're going to have some um, organisms with artificial intelligence that uh, are as good as we are. If not superior, right? Yeah. And you know why they will be that? Because they will be able to control their emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. I don't know where I read. Did I read it or it was at YouTube some, somewhere, but it was very interesting. Artificial intelligence and, and they were talking about making a mistake. Like, let's say a robot makes a mistake and there is no emotions. But when you program the robot to make a mistake and have emotions and basically say, oh, I'm, I'm truly sorry or some, something of this sort. And now the human mind is so much more willing to go along because there is that so-called human trait. And it's all artificial intelligence in the same way. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's have, have, have you seen the movie Ex Machina? Yes beautiful movie all beautiful movie so you know what i'm talking about when the emotions may be our downfall you know yes exactly right and then you start like you know i'm okay i know it's a robot but uh, it's okay for me right <laughs> so tell me um uh, another thing like i i know we we both go long ways away as far as the evolution of dog training itself like I, i'm not sure but I would take a wild guess and I would assume that you also started in a very traditional way of, of reinforcement and punishment and avoidance, escape avoidance. That was my background. I, I did came from, from a military Russian style of training, which was a curry cutter, you know. Uh, I mean, I mean, it was the best at the time. Um, but eventually, 
we started to realize that that emotions matter and that we cannot do some other things and i know that you at least i think i think um, i started to pay attention and and realize it was probably the late 80s or very early 90s is when i was like okay i i'm completely changing and i'm i'm very accomplished in what i do and i never stop taking anything that's that has benefit um so n- needless to say when the whole movement the whole ideology of force free came in i jumped on it i mean there is nothing better than being able to accomplish something without the use of aversive period um and i know that uh, i mean you at the time I, I i mean even i think still till very recently you you were going and giving a lot of uh, uh presentations and you you were very strongly supporting this and i'm curious where are you standing right now look you spoke, you're speaking about the force free and all that uh, movement you know I, 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 we didn't call it force free, but I, I was uh, am- among the pioneers of, of that current, if you can call it. This right. is my first book, look, look at how I look like. Can you see it? Yes, yes, yes. This is from 1984. And you know what? In 1984, everything that, I, that we, we talk about, uh, that people talk about now, it's here. But it's here in, in a slightly different way. First, it's not here in a dogmatic way. Um, it's there as, 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 as an approach, you know. Um, and, and the idea at the time in the 80s was, because as you said, I also started like you, you know, when I, when I went to training with, with the dogs, it, it was, I mean, training came from the military. Yeah. They were the, they trained the, the you know, the, the, the dogs and, and that's what we had. And that's what I questioned, um, not, not only me, of course, many others, uh, well, not many others, but some I can, uh, Anders Algren in Sweden was one of the maybe first, uh, actually, I, I, would, I would credit him with being the first one to look at it differently because he even goes back to the 1970s. What is, what is his name? Anders Algren. Okay. And, um, and then we had Ian Dunbar, of course, in, in um, UK, uh, well, uh, US. Um, we had uh, Roger McFord at the time in England. Yeah. And the things that we were doing were different. We, we actually met all three for the first time um, in Bermuda. Uh, and uh, we were very surprised. We, you know, it's not like now. We didn't have internet. We didn't have uh, nothing like that. So... We were very surprised that we were doing similar things with different approaches, um, but but uh, but still uh, trying to make a change, you know. And the the most interesting for us was not so much the similarities, but were um, that we were trying to achieve the same goal, but with different uh, kind of different approaches. Because remember, I came from biology. Anders Algren uh, um, and, and the Roger McFord from psychology, Ian Dunbar, veterinarian. So of course we have different approaches, uh, but that doesn't that, that didn't prevent us from being able to talk and uh, to inspire one another, and the movement uh, grew. 
which I think it was, of course, uh, uh, good. Uh, it was progress. Uh, it was good. Um, what I don't think it's so good is that uh, is the that the movement lost um, became too dogmatic, um, too um, uh, you know imposing, uh, too 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 sure of of itself in a way. Look, there is nothing in this book here uh, that says this is the, the the way and the only way to do things. You know. Um, and, and these and these days, if you if you do not do things in a certain way, uh, like certain groups want, then it's like uh, everything is wrong. And you know, if you ask me, my experience shows me quite the opposite. That it shows that there are many paths to the top of the mountain, uh, and one needs not be more right than the other. It depends on many factors. It depends on what you want. It depends on what you have available. It depends on your priorities, you know. Very true. Very, very well said. So, so if you ask me, of course, I mean, for me, all interactions with all living organisms, no matter what species, uh, will be based on, on respect, respect for what they are. And I don't care if we talk about the dog or, or, or an octopus, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. Or, or, you know it's, it's a living organism um, I, I firmly believe in the Darwinian a difference of degree, not kind, you know. Um, so as, as long as that respect, that basic respect is, 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 is preserved, uh, I cannot say, um, I'm sorry, uh, maybe some people will get very disappointed, but I cannot say that one, one method is correct and all the others are wrong. I cannot even say that one method is better than others because, again, as I said, depends on the conditionals. To go back to Pavlov, <laughs> let's give the let's give the, the behaviorist something. <laughs> yes, I think this is when, um, unfortunately, where we are right now, we are extremely divided, and we are extremely divided because of the two extreme. That's the that's our problem, and it. I mean. It's such a animosity and, and like there is no there is no possibility to have conversation between everybody. Yeah, you're right. There are the two extremes, and the, and the worst of that is is even that the, if you are in the middle, uh, then you are even worse because you are pinched by both sides. Yes, yes, you're you're truly forced to choose a side today. Otherwise, you really don't belong anywhere. It, it is a very very bad idea. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't know, like, I don't agree with, with neither one, of course. I, and I think that there is always, um, like people that really want to learn and want to maximize and do the best they can for their dogs. And I'm not talking just teaching the dog how to sit and, and what's the recipe to make the dog walk next to you and all that. I'm talking about actually accomplish this, but having this amazing motivation and desire of the dog. And if the dog can speak back to say, I feel really good, I, I enjoy doing this. And somehow though, the both extremes, those camps, they affect that. Like they, each one will kind of try to pull the rug their own way. And it's like, well, no, if you, 
I mean, for God's sake, like, like the, the most extreme parts is when you, let's say, let's say on the all positive trainers is like, well, if you tell the dog that he's wrong, that's already a bad thing. And this is where I, I, when you trace this all the way down, it goes probably way back to, to uh, Skinner and, and saying that punishment is just doesn't work. It's not even on moral. It's just like he, he really thought that it doesn't work. But then you take this other group of on the other side and everything they do is based on suppression and forcing. And neither one is right. But but there is no debate. Yeah, because neither one, and uh, you, you just uh, hit, hit the nail on its head when you said before um, that um, you wanted uh, to do those things with the dog and if the dog could speak to you, would say, this is fun, this is good, right? Yes. But you know, neither of these uh, groups speak about it. And I don't care what they call themselves. They, call, they, they, can, they can choose the nicest names to describe their movement. It doesn't make it better that they are still manipulating the animal to, uh, and, and they're not, the dog is not, you know, the, the positive side that says, oh, but look at my, my dog. My dog has a lot of fun. No, the dog doesn't have any fun. The dog is doing it because it's being fed, because it needs food or because it's brainwashed to respond to, to uh, uh, um, conditioned reinforcers and conditioned signals or whatever. Um, so you're still using force. You're just using a, a, a different kind of force. Um, it didn't change anything. You know, I used to say, you, you change, the, you change the, the plates, but you didn't change the soup. The soup is the same, you just serve it in different plates. Uh, I don't know if you have that expression in. Uh, no, but that's uh, that's uh, easy to to get. Okay, but that's what I use. It, it's still the same, exactly the same. There is no difference. The only difference are are the the plate, yeah, the names that you give it, uh, and and I I I I want a different approach. I want the, the approach of understanding what makes the animal tick, what motivates the animal. How can we do things so that we both benefit from it? And people say, oh, but it's not possible and so on. Yes, it is. Look, I've been there. I've done it. I'm not speaking. And you can see movies of, of me working with the dog, uh, with the horses, with guinea pigs, with all kinds of animals. Um, so, yes, it is possible to do it. Uh, people say, oh, but the, the, the dog is not going to do anything just uh, because uh, of you. Well, yes, it is because dog is a social animal. So yeah, if, yeah. If, I, if, I, if I create a, a good relationship with the dog, of course the dog is going to do it for me. Uh, and I'm going to do it for the dog. Uh, that's in the genetic blueprint of the animal, you know. Um, so you don't need to, the, 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 you know, the, to, to go with lots of bags of foods and, and, and uh, food and, and, um, and um, devices, you know, all the devices that you can buy these days. They cost a lot of money and they don't make you a better trainer. Um, if you ask me, and that, allow me to be as bold, uh, if you ask me what is your or my best training tool, I tell you, it's me, it's you. Your best training tool, it's you. Um, and if you use yourself correctly, then you can do whatever. And I don't need to tell you that, Ivan, because I know what you, you've done. I know what you've accomplished. I know very well that you know all these, you know. <laughs> so I don't need to tell you that. But it, this is a very, very important conversation for, especially for my audience to hear, because uh, 
this is this is it's been a quest of mine to to try to educate and put a different light on on this and uh yeah you're you're very um like you mentioned play originally at some point earlier on the conversation and uh i'm super big on play as an interaction and sometimes trainers are like oh well you're using a ball or uh, whatever the toy is and i am also and i always reply like i the toy is just the object that we interact with but finding the way how to cooperate how to follow the certain rules to interact with that object that's deep that has nothing to do as you just giving a ball to a dog and the dog kind of just enjoys the ball and i think play is very underestimated and yeah yeah you, uh, even let me tell you one thing you 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 i like to say that it's not the ball in itself the ball itself in itself means nothing it's it's uh, the the interaction between you and the animal what you do together yes exactly like the ball is just a uh, an accident. <laughs> yes. If if you end up just giving the dog the ball and he goes away and he's happy that means you you haven't accomplished anything. You want you want the, the interaction you and me interacting in a very different way than being the food dispenser and controlling. There is so many we know now um I mean what it's been at least 20 30 years now since uh what was his name John Pas- Panskep with the with the tickling rats and how finally we realized that play is a biologically programmed it's a innate brain system just as it's any of the other primary reinforcers but you can still see in the dog training world and and I don't know if it's coming from the marine trainers the sea world trainers but like uh, very often you will see still people that will i mean even even that the dog equipment companies will sell a toy that has a little pouch so you can put food to teach the dog to play and you're completely missing the most beautiful way of interaction to coming to some cooperation that two different species can come into interacting in a beautiful way and you just butcher it with another primary reinforcer it's it's mind blowing no you you're right um, but, but, but i would like also to emphasize because i don't know uh, i don't know your listeners your but but i want to emphasize that i have nothing against using food uh, strategically in animal training uh, i've i've used it and i used it um when when uh, when necessary but uh, to make uh, food like you see these days you cannot harm your dog by feeding the dog uh, you know if you don't use food you're not a good trainer i've seen i've seen statements like that i've i've read statements like that and that really uh, makes me uh, in a way a little bit uh, disappointed with the human kind in a way if you think that the relationship all relationships are based on food and nothing else than food then you are do, being very unfair not only to the dog but to, you know to food in it, in itself as well you know yes yeah no no by by no doubt food has its place it, it everything has its place but it's a uh, it it the 
at least the way I see the ultimate goal between dog and human interacting is to be able to use whatever, whatever your tools you want to use. And I, 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 I know I take a big chance to saying this, but whatever the tools you want to use, being food, being toy, being whatever the aversive tools you want to use, ultimately, if you can strip the dog down and the dog works for you, and I see that dog loving it and choosing, not because it's oppressed, not because it's brainwashing manipulated, but really choosing to interact with you instead of anything else, hats off to that. I'll be the first one, tell me what you're doing. Yes, I agree. Yeah, 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 that's right. And this is the, like, I think, um, I think both sides have so much to bring to the conversation and somehow we are not having that conversation because of the extreme sides of things. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, emotions run high, you know, um, and also the, 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 I mean, basically the, the, it's a question of attitude as well. It's the question, it's that attitude that I, that I, I don't understand the one I know everything and, um, I'm right and all the others are wrong, you know. Um, if, I, if I've had that attitude, I would never have learned anything in my life. Um, I, I, can, I can give you an example. You spoke about my book, Dog Language, which is also there. And it's translated in, in many languages. And yeah. it, it's been a, a long seller, as my publishers call it. They don't call it a bestseller. They call it a long seller. Interesting. But I have, to, I have a confession to make. Sometimes I look at the book and, uh, and, uh, and I say, oh, no, how could I write that? Oh, no, no, no. Did I write that? Oh, no, did I write that? I mean, I, I'm asking my, my publishers these days to please allow me to edit that book. Allow me to edit that book because there are so many things that they are not directly wrong, but they are not as, as correct as they could have been, you know, because the book was written many years ago. Uh, and if I had the attitude of I know what is right and that's the only thing that is right and all the others are wrong, I mean my book would be forever right and it's not. Uh, and, and you know, I'm not even sad because of that. I mean, it's still I think to this day it's one of again. Thank you, Ivan. Thank you very much. I wish it would be much better. By the I'm way, I'm surprised that they don't let you change some some of it and they make a, a new new edition. No, no, they they um, they uh, I, I got finally um, I, I'm allowed to do that. I just need time to do it. But you know, the problem is that instead of being uh, like this, it's going to be the double. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I I also wrote a book, but it was a, it came a little bit after yours, uh, and it, it's kind of uh, a very strictly oriented to the sport of Schutzhund with the tracking beam protection, and it was during the time that I was heavily influenced of the all positive. No, we we you know so pretty much all of my approach in the book was written this way. And if I have to do it again, I, I know that I will definitely uh, um, add some things and I will not be so concerned about is it force-free, is it all positive reinforcement, but I will be much more concerned how easy it is 
for the dog not to get frustrated when learning. And if that dog needs a little, just flip, hey, dude, don't do that, that's stupid. And he says, thank you, what is the right solution? You know, but but where the times we're living in, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to do something like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, but but and, and you're right. I mean, what you call it, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I never think about um, um, this is, I'm going to write something I'm from a positive or force-free or mm. whatever point of view. I, I, I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of jumping a little bit, but I'm really curious about the rats that you did with the detection. Like how, how did that all even came about? The rats. Well, it's um, the, I was invited by by the the, the, the creators of the project, um, um, and and uh, I was invited to go there and observe what they were doing, uh-huh. um, and give them some good ideas maybe. And uh, I did that, and we talked, and uh, apparently they liked my my approach. And then they invited me to to write. Um, the, the manual, the instructor's uh, manual of the of the rat trainers, uh, which is a big thing that I wrote with all the standard standard operating procedures and uh, you know. So how long does it take on average, uh, and and what are, are the different levels or or? Um... Yeah, I mean first uh, look, the the procedure is a strictly behavioristic pr- procedure of the the training of the rats, yeah. because. Um, uh, you know, it, it, they have to be highly efficient. They have to be able to be worked by many different operators, um, and the operators don't have uh, the necessary background knowledge uh, to be able to be creative by themselves. So, in this case, we are talking about giving, and, and also we don't want accidents to happen. So, it's very strict. Uh, do this, 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 etc. And then there are certification um, tests for for the rats and for the operators of the rats as well. And um, I mean, what you do is you you start by 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 teaching them the um, an, an indication behavior, which uh, people call an alert in in. Um, in scent detection normal, but I, I called it an indication behavior. And uh, the rats have um, uh, uh, two natural behaviors when they find something interesting. One of them is to stick the nose, poke the nose into that, whatever it is, to sniff it. And the other one is to scratch with the, with the paws. And um, some prefer one thing and others prefer another one. So we, we gave them a little bit of freedom there. You can choose. Uh, kind of so those that um, had tendency to poke the nose uh, into whatever that they found interesting, we reinforced that now to to use behavioristic uh, language, and those that scratched, we reinforced that instead, and then we introduced the 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 target scent to them, which was a TNT, and we used TNT because TNT was the um, uh, and is the, the fellas component of, of uh, the explosives uh, that you find in mines, of all of them, independent of whether they come from um, uh, earlier Soviet Union or, or, or uh, the United States of America, is the same. And then once they had that, uh, 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 that target scent, we introduced um, other scents so, so that they could learn scent discrimination. Um, 
but they had already the indication behavior, so it was no problem. And then you train, you train, you make it more difficult, you introduce more variables into it, like um, uh, rain, humidity, uh, you know, different soils, because of the landmines are, are placed in different soils, right? Um, at the time, Apopo had the, the training, the, the biggest minefield in the world to train with over 3,000 different mines. Um, of many different uh, uh, fabrications, different uh, ones, and then you train the rat to not not to 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 make mistakes. You know, uh, a, a false positive. Um, you you would say, well, a false positive is not so bad, right? Well, a false positive is actually often worse than 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 you can imagine, because um, you don't know where it is. Uh, there is a suspicion that uh, there is a mine there, uh, but you don't know where, and you cannot find it. And you cannot uh, release the land to, to the local population um, because it's dangerous. So you have to find it. Um, so we hope that um, that we do, we do not have false positives. Also, the, the rats trained in, uh, worked in teams so that um, we didn't take the word of a rat for granted. We always wanted to have a confirmation. And with the TV, we also trained them at the time. All this work I'm talking uh, about, amazing work is done by Apopo, Apopo in uh, Morogoro, Tanzania. Christopher Cox um, is the executive director. Um, and and uh, and uh, Bart Vetchens, by the way, uh, let's not forget him because Bart and and and, and Chris they, they started the project many years ago. They come from Belgium, by the way. Yeah. Maybe maybe you know them both. Um, and they and um, and they they also started the project of detecting tuberculosis. And for the tuberculosis. Um, we always had three rats running through the same samples. Uh, and if all three agreed, then we would uh, say that, okay, that's a safe one. Uh, if two agreed, but one disagreed, then it was a sus suspect, we would say, it, you know, it will require then uh, lab analysis to find out um, who was right, uh, which one of the rats were right. So what about the, like, uh... How do you or how do they select them? Is it a is there something specific test like how you would run a, a, a dog or or is it less important? Yeah, that, that's interesting because you know the first rats they were completely wild, um, so the, the they started with wild rats, tamed, you know, got them used to to people, and that's uh, I guess why you had to start with the behavioristic uh, principles um, uh, because it was what also would give you the quickest results, not necessarily the best, but absolutely the quickest results. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then uh, Apovo started its own breeding uh, program. Uh, the best rats uh, together, you know, uh, and of course the second, third and fourth generation, they, they, are, they are different because we've been doing what natural selection does, you know, so selecting um, uh, according to a, a criteria. And the criteria, there were only basically, well, two main criteria. Of course, we want the rat to be healthy and all that. But the two basic criteria is a good nose. That's the first one, which they all have basically. And the second one, 
um, um, uh, ease to learn. Mm -hmm. It should be easy for us to interact with them. Um, and that is very much connected with curiosity. Uh, the more curious the animal is, the, the easiest would be to, um, to teach the animal new behaviors. So is there is there sh like a, when when you say the first the first the first ones yeah the first batch um, would you would you put them in like different groups of like okay these are really bold really bully like these are aware of the environment more careful I mean rats as a general I would think it's they're very aware and careful but. Are there some that are really extremely careful to where would not be suitable? Yeah, yeah, uh, there, there, were, there were. And there were some of them that were so fearful of, of uh, everything that had to do with humans that you could basically not work with them. So that, that is the first uh, that we have to sort out uh, which animal, starting with the wild animals is always difficult. We had the same problem when we worked with, with the foxes. Mm -hmm. um, they were also wild animals. And even if they were uh, the first ones, when they, they were very small when, when we got them, uh, if you get them three, four weeks of age, it's already too late. Uh, most of the imprinting is, is, um, is underway or, or it's not completed, but it's, um, it's too late. So you, you can get maybe get them used to human, but they will never consider a human a, a kind of um, a species you can interact with. Uh, on equal foot, you know. With dogs, I mean, I guess with every every living thing, but but specifically with dogs, like if you are to give an advice to a uh, new trainer that starts, that has obviously interest and it's young, or, or maybe it's not young, but definitely it's like, wow, I'm fascinated by dogs and how they learn and how we interact. Any, any, where would you, what would you give them as an advice how to being living in a, in a social media environment where everybody gives advices and you can get lost in a very dangerous rabbit holes? Yeah, that's right. I, I, you, you mean if, if, uh, what advice I would give people if they want? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if they really seriously, besides the just, oh, I'm just want to learn this basic thing but but there is a lot a lot of hungry people that, that that just like us get involved and then they go and they don't watch netflix they try to read things they try to do the right thing and and educate themselves what kind of advice would you give you know the, the, but ivan it's different because we live in a different time now the problem is that you and i we read books uh, we we have to be active to go there and find things um, uh, you, uh, you had to go and, uh, and so did I to the library to find books, to find papers we have to go through those you remember those microfiche those uh, 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 deeply annoying things that you had to go through we have to be active in searching uh, uh, the knowledge and, and the, these days people are not active um, people want everything served they are used to have everything served I think they are active, but they, they are lost. I think uh, like right now, if somebody has such a number of followers and likes, all of a sudden it's, this is the right person. And we know this is not the right person just by 
just glancing through their stuff and you know this is or so wrong but it's not easy for the for the young crowd to 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 navigate through through the confusion you know what what i i try to teach our students and always did was be critical be yourself be critical ask why why don't accept things um just because someone tells you that and i even used to tell them if if i ever see you doing something because i i, I say uh without questioning me or questioning yourself whether it is right, what I told you, then I will get very offended. <laughs> I, I don't want you to do what I tell you because I tell you. I want you to do it what I tell you because you investigated it and you think it is correct. Uh, so I, I think we have to reawaken that uh, critical uh, thinking sense uh, in, in, in people. Um, to make them question uh, things. Of course, it's difficult because people tell me also that um, my students, they, they belong to, to different groups, you know, our students, and, and they tell me, but in that group, you know, I asked the question and they threw me out. They banned me from the group. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, you know, you, if you are not even allowed to, to question, uh, then we are in, in a vicious circle, you know, and and even and it gets even more vicious because of what I told you before. Because people kind of are used to get everything served. I I, I can tell you we did some studies on that, and I, I post a link. We post a link with a picture and a, a, a little summary of an article that I write. It could be an article that could be important for people to understand, like the one that we have right now on our page about evolutionarily stable strategies, you know, that will um, uh, make people understand a little bit better why, um, why we sometimes behave aggressively, other times we behave fearfully, other times we behave dominantly, and other times we behave submissively, just to use an example. Mm -hmm, that would, mm -hmm. that would um, that, that explain it. And, and then we go behind the scenes because, you know, we have our technical people uh, that, that can, can see everything. And, um, and we have likes, 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 dislikes, and so on. But you know what? If we have, let's say that my article got um, um, uh, 500 likes, and uh, you think, oh, that is good. But then we go behind and see how many read the article because we can see how many clicked and read the article. And then we have, we have only 25 who read the article. So what is it that they like? Do they like the picture? Uh, in that case, I, I will stop writing books and only post pictures instead, you know? Yes, yes. It, it's really the, the phenomenon and, and the fast pace of everything. And it's impossible to pay attention. It's really impossible. Hmm. Yeah. What about like your new book? Um, like if if you are to introduce your book the the last one the uh, animal training my way to to the audience how would you what what would you say i would say that that book uh, is a book um, about um, us um, um, controlling our emotions and controlling our behavior and um, i write there that if 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 i control my emotions and i control my behavior i will produce in others maybe the behavior that I want, not against their will, 
or not by using pseudo uh, uh, techniques like uh, psychological techniques, but because they want the change. Um, and that's what the book is about. I, I emphasize immensely, and I show it on, on several videos. I don't say one word. I don't use one word to the dog or to the horse, not one. Um, everything is my body language, my rhythm uh, with the animal, my, my facial expressions as well, which work very nicely with dogs, by the way. We're very lucky from that point of view. Um, they work less well with horses, but, uh, but much better with, uh, with, with dogs. So th th that's what it is all about. And, and, and it, it's, um, it's about making things simple, uh, not simpler than necessary, but, but, but simple, using ourselves. Um, you know, we, have, we are so, so afraid of failing sometimes that um, we, um, we project uh, that, that uh, fear in our body language. Mm -hmm. And if, if we fail, I, I, uh, and, and if we do that, if we feel, if, if, we, if we project fear and insecurity, what dog will follow an insecure person, right? I mean, you know, do dogs only go three places. They go, either they go someplace or they go someplace, some, somewhere else or they go nowhere, right? So when I, when, I say, when I see dog owners walking with their dogs, they walk like they, where are we going? We're going, we going there. Well, you know, the hill, the hill thing, hill exercise, which is so easy. And they walk like they're drunk or like, like they are zombies. And I tell them, what dog will follow you? You know? So, so if, you, if you want to walk, you say, I'm going to walk there. And then when you get there, you say, I'm going to walk there. And then you don't walk anywhere. And if you show that very clearly, the dog goes, wow, this guy knows where, you, where, where he's going to do, what he's going to do. And if you stop also with, the, and you feel uh, certain of yourself, the dog will also stop and look at you like, oh, he stopped. Why did he stop? You know? And people are so afraid of failing. And because then people ask me, what if it goes wrong? Well, tough luck. Sometimes things don't work. You know, then what you do, start all over again. But when you start all over again, you believe that you're going to succeed. So uh, I, I really believe that, that uh, from, from the experiences that I have, that um, you don't need to force the animal to do anything. You just need to show the animal that you know what you're doing. And, and if you know what you're doing and you show that, then of course the animal will follow you. Yes. And, and yeah, I... I, I cannot agree more with you on this and on like if i need i would add something to this is you actually don't need to be a dog trainer you just need to be very sincere and pay attention and you will find a way how to get along and and come to some agreement it's it's this is like the amazing part of of dogs not too many other animals can do this with us but dogs somehow are very eager and very keen to to catch and follow us if we if we address it and we don't be like oh i'm the master in your you know like they they really intrigued by us just as much as we are by them yeah, exactly yeah yeah 
But you know, I never think you know, on those terms. I'm the master, no matter what uh, what animal I work with. Uh, yeah. I, I never think about I'm the master. Is the my my serv, serv, servant? Or, but I I do not think the other way around either. Um, I, I'm not. I'm, I I don't accept um, any animal independent. I don't accept a human doing that. And that, of course, I don't accept a dog or a horse or a jellyfish. Uh, you know to. Um, push me around, you know? <laughs> exactly. Okay, another one. I hope we have a little more time. You know, the, and, and I, I really don't know how you feel about this, so I was very, very curious to hear, but um, the whole thing about the, the, our dog dominant animals and the whole dominance conversation and I, I, I will refrain from studying anything because I don't want to say anything, but I, I know it came from David Mack when he first, and he just got picked up that one phrase that no, they are not dominant, there is no. I actually tried to have him on my podcast specifically to talk about this, but somehow he he's still in a, uh, some government position and he, he's just not, they did not let him talk with me. But meanwhile, I know that he retracted that state. Like actually he's like, no, yeah, we don't, we understand that wolves are not the kind of packs that I was explaining, that they're more families, but there is definite hierarchy and there is definitely somebody that says, you little dogs and wolves follow me. Right, Ivan. I, I I hope you 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 succeed in getting David Mitch to in your program and having him clarify that, because it was actually unfortunate what he said, and it was uh, I I know he was under tremendous pressure from from those uh, uh, very extreme groups, um, and and uh, and and that happened. But but uh, you know, and I know also that uh, he also retracted that uh, and said no. Uh, they, they are misquoting me or misinterpreting my own words. And I've told them many times that uh, all our tutors at the Institute do that. And still there, there are a, a group out there that uh, continues to say that um, uh, dominance, dominant behavior doesn't exist. Uh, and and um, maybe it exists for all other animals, but apparently not for the dog, which would be, would, which would be an evolutionary uh, like winning the lottery or 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 dogs are aliens and have completely different genetic makeup than every other one in on earth yeah i wrote an article once called the dominance making sense of the nonsense um when i, I look i i'm an, a, a, an evolutionary biologist and ethologist i define very precisely you can find it on our website um, um, courses and uh, I, I wrote over 100 articles which are free for people there to write, to read. And I define uh, dominant behavior, um, submissive behavior, aggressive behavior and fearful behavior very clearly. And the, the way I interpret that in my model, which started actually with um, another book, The Evolution of Canine Social Behavior, which was published at the same time of Dog Language, uh, in my model, I, I see these things as not characteristics of the individual, but characteristics of um, of the behavior. You cannot say that uh, you cannot say that uh, um, 
someone is dominant. You can say someone behaves dominantly. You cannot say that someone else is submissive. You can say someone behaves sub, uh, or is submissive, behaves submissively, if you know what I mean, right? Yes. It, it's the behavior. Th those terms are adjectives of behavior, not of the individual. Then, of course, you have a hierarchy. You, have, uh, you, you do that. And uh, I mean, if you, if you see it, the function of hierarchies are not to, um, to oppress some uh, particular individuals uh, more than others, it's to actually to make the group uh, work better. Harmony, of course. For, for, for the benefit of everybody. Um, and if you look at, um, you can even actually, uh, if, you, if you go back to the, the idea of the selfish gene, you can see that um, uh, the selection is not or been, been, been done at, uh, at the group level, it's been done at the gene level. Uh, or, or gene, gene plex, gene, the, the complex of genes uh, level. Um, and in that case, it favors, uh, it favors everybody in, in, in the group. A well-structured a well group favors everybody. People, I have so much against hierarchies and I say, look, and, and, and also another thing I don't understand, by the way, Ivan, is that people these days have so much against wolves. Well, they always have, the wolf has also been uh, persecuted, and it still is. Um, there is a faction of dog trainers and dog owners that um, they want to distance themselves and their dogs from wolves, like uh, we were talking about vampires, you know. But that is because of the 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 propaganda of the ideology, because it doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe that's why you know. And there is nothing, nothing to be ashamed. Uh, uh, if, if our dogs, yes, they are very close related to the wolves. Actually, there is no other animal as close related to the wolf as the domestic dog. Um, and and I, I don't see anything to be ashamed uh, of that. Actually, some people even contradict themselves. You know, if you look at the studies, um, wolves show much less level of aggressive behavior, for instance, when they grow up, uh, than dogs do. And the people say, oh, aggression, aggression is a bad thing. They forget, actually, that dogs are more aggressive than wolves. Look at the structure, hierarchies. They don't like hierarchies. They, if you speak the word alpha, they get a uh, fit, you know? Yeah. And they enable, they immediately label you like a, a bad person. Because they bring the, the most awful description and example of it and it touches everybody's heart and off you are on the bandwagon yes exactly yeah you, you do but if you look at the structure of a wolf pack um is is um, um well organized um it's it's family based of course because um, of the boundaries in in, in nature if you compare with them um, with the structure of a dog pack like um um, my colleagues have studied in Italy, especially in Italy, with the feral dogs and the stray dogs of in the streets of Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, the the dog pack is more like a, a band of of delinquent teenagers in the in the middle of LA. You know, there is no no real structure. Um, there is no no goal, uh, no direction for the group. Um, it's uh, it's the survival of of the strongest, not the fittest, you know, and and the, the, and there is the difference again. If you look at the, the wolf, there is for sure the, the there is structure, 
um, th there is a, a di direction for for the for the pack, and it is the survival of the fittest, not the strongest. The alpha wolf uh, is not the strongest; is actually the the wisest. Uh, normally, is the father of the family and the mother. It's uh, we call alpha pair uh, because of that, you know. And why is that so? Because they are the, the wisest. And one day they won't be the wisest and then they lose it. And then someone else wiser takes the place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we, we're talking about this. I, I mean, also, we, we have to make sure that we, we understand that we, the, the, the whole idea of, of constantly going after your dog as a pet owner and suppressing him and thinking that he's gonna take over your world, it's wrong. But you- No, of course it is, but, but who, who says that? I, I mean- But you cannot, oh, there is, um, there is a lot of, um, um, I mean, on, on both sides of the extremes, I think there is, uh, there is this notion of, uh, well, you know that the traditional approach will be, he needs to know who's the boss, but he needs to know who's the boss. It's in a very, uh, um, with a lot of animosity and, and like, like they, before they even start interacting with the dog, they are all were already convinced that the dog's gonna show them the middle finger no matter what, you know? And, and it's like, so therefore we, we need to start right now and he needs to be, and and this is not authority because there is difference between authority and respect versus total total fear and and I really I mean the the but, but Ivan to go from one extreme to the other doesn't make the situation of the dog better correct because if you use that kind of authority I show you who's the boss the dog lives in a state of fear because he doesn't know what to expect but if you go to the other side and you say oh no. We are, we are, there are no bosses. No, no, we are all equal and all that. The dog also lives in a constant state of fear because doesn't know what to do and nobody, nobody is showing directions, you know? Right. So, so again, what have you done? We, we have changed the plates. The soup is the same and the dog is, uh, is insecure and miserable before uh, uh, or after as, as it was before. So, yeah. you know, I would say that it's all a question of balance. And now I know that people are going to label me. And uh, and you know what, Ivan? I don't care. I still think one of maybe the lessons that I've learned throughout my life of studying nature, of observing nature, is it is a question of balance. In nature, extremes do not fare as well as balanced individuals in all aspects. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Very, very nice conversations. But, but uh, uh, just to, to, you know, kind of finish the conversation about when, when we talk uh, in ethology about uh, dominant, submissive, aggressive, and fearful, we don't mean anything like um, uh, either uh, uh, I'm the boss or uh, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's, it's not, the terms do not mean that. The terms describe very specific behaviors which play a role in, in, um, in a global evolutionarily stable strategy, yeah. I hope you found it interesting to what I had to say. I oh, I, I can I can have that conversation like like we can go on, but I know it. it we we did quite a bit. We can um, do it another day.
we can <laughs> we should we should because uh we really I, I think we have a lot we we have a lot of things that we can talk about and and i think at least for me it's very mind stimulating and and i know my audience the people that like my podcast they would absolutely love you so um thank you very much for joining we uh, i i want to tell you ivan that we also have students and even tutors among uh, among ourselves that uh, are great fans of yours thank you thank you by the way uh um I mean, just just at the end, like uh, how somebody can reach you and and very briefly, just a little bit about the the Institute, because I know, I mean, I follow it, of course, but, you know, I have also my own school and I I teach, um, but um, I I really would like people to know about uh, what you do with the Institute, because it's a a very important. Yeah, Ethology Institute, you can reach us on our website at ethology.eu. And uh, what we we do basically is that we offer courses and programs, programs for um, um, uh, the the first one, different levels, you know, the dog training, uh, advanced dog training and uh, animal training. But we call it applied ethology because for us, the important thing is not so much the, the... the training part is the applied ethology. So one of the, it's called, one of the, the, the levels, it's called um, um, certificate in applied canine ethology. And the other one is in um, um, advanced uh, animal uh, ethology, applied ethology. Um, so we offer the courses, we, these days we offer them uh, online, the all theory online. With um, we have forums where the students and the tutors meet and discuss these things. Um, we have uh, uh, meetings like the one we are having now, Zoom Zoom meetings, where where we uh, tutors meet the students and uh, talk about uh, uh, whatever they need. And the, all the practical work um, you can also do it uh, from home. Um, actually, we, we wished, I, I still missed the on-campus atmosphere, being able to be there live with the students and the animals, but these days is not possible. So we do it by, by, by video, actually. The tutors are in contact with the students, like, uh, like here, for instance, or through Skype normally. And um, they, they show what they do, the, the tutor corrects, they do it again, you know, um, through, uh, through video. Um, yeah. So how how long normally it's like the your uh, the initial program? Well, how long does it take? CPDT, which is the Certified Professional Dog Trainer um, uh, program, people can do it in about one year, depending on their practical skills. If they are very good uh, with the practical skills, then they can do it in six months, which is even. But you know, the problem is always the practice. We we. Um, we weight the, the practical part quite a lot because we don't want our students to be people that know everything uh, about everything but cannot show anything. We want them to be able to show. Um, I used to say words are cheap. Show me instead. Yes. And yes. Uh, that is what um, takes time. Uh, most students, they do the theory in uh, four, five, six months, and then the rest of the time is... Um, um, struggling struggling with the, the the practice and i really say struggling because many come with bad habits you know and um and we have kind of start from from ground zero right 
Right. And then we have the next program, which is the cert certificate in applied canine ethology that takes about six months more. And uh, it's more uh, demanding and it includes also the scent detection, canine scent detection, not because we want them to be especially good at scent detection, but because of what it teaches them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To, to pass the, the double blind test in uh, scent detection has taught them to be able to communicate with the animal, to read the behavior of the animal, to understand the difficulties of the animal. And um, I think they learn a lot. And then we have the last one, which is the, the certificate in applied animal <coughs> ethology where they have to work, uh, besides working with dogs, they have to work with two other species and most choose dogs and cats, but we also have dogs and guinea pigs. Uh, we have dogs and marine mammals, uh, horses and marine mammals. I mean, you can combine that in many yeah. uh, different ways. So that's what Ethology Institute does. And then we have, as you know, our group on Facebook, um, which is called Ethology Institute Group, where we uh, invite everybody to discuss whatever topic they may want. The only rules we have is that um, uh, you they, they must respect one another. They have to be courteous to one another and, uh, and, uh, and uh, provide arguments. Uh, we don't care whether you come from the right or from the left. On the contrary, like you said, we want everybody to talk together. We want all ideas to be there. But one thing that we are very strict and we will not tolerate is bad manners, if you know what I mean. Yeah, oh yeah, especially now. You may disagree with a statement, but you may not disagree with a person, I used to say. A person is different. Disagree with a statement, that's fine. Provide arguments, that's fine. We have extremes in our group. We have people um, from both extremes um, uh, discussing, and that's fine. We monitor that as long as they are polite to one another and, and provide arguments, that's fine. That group is also very important for us because it's part of what we call knowledge to everyone everywhere. That's our goal, to spread knowledge to everyone everywhere. We don't have any special ideology or school that we, um, that we promote, you know, like um, you have to do it like that. No, yeah. we, we want to promote open-mindedness, uh, real science and critical thinking. That's the best way to do. It's really the best way. It's very similar. Like I, at, at my school, the training without conflict, it's it's very similar. Um, and we do have the Zoom calls and do have everything. And and um, yeah, it's really probably quite similar because convincing both extremes that they are, they are really just blindfolded. And and yeah. And I also hear that you promote also the open-mindedness, you know. Um, very much so, very much so. Like I I tell you what, like if somebody says right now that they they have a better way, whatever that is, but it's a better way, and they live in Alaska or Hong Kong, and it's COVID times, I will find a way to go and learn it. Like I will find a way to go and learn it. And I don't think I'm not alone. I think... Uh, many, many dog trainers will do the same. Where we struggle with is 
especially with social media, especially with some of the scientific kind of pseudo papers that's like, oh no, this works better. It's proven to work. And then, you s and then I go and I spend a week and trying to get a hold of anybody. Okay, it's proven, but where is it proven? I, I actually, can you show me? You say that there is videos, there is, there is this, there is this, like you telling me that it's proven is just very insufficient. And if we get to the core, it's like, no, you're, you're better and you know you think you have something better. Present it and show it. And, and you will get everybody on board. And I think somehow we need to, on, on, from all angles, we need to approach this a little bit different than one being taller than the other. It's like, no, it's proven. You have to just trust me that this is how it is. Like, no, that's not how we work. That's not how we function. It's a wrong approach. Yeah, Ivan, we could go on forever. <laughs> I know. It was a pleasure. I, I cannot, like, I, I know, I, I'm so, so happy that I was able to invite you and that you had some free time to do this with me. Thank you, thank you. And the, the pleasure is mutual. It's been a pleasure for me as well to, to have met you finally, because I've also heard, uh, as you know, a lot about you, uh, also from our tutors. Yes. Maybe one day we meet in person, maybe, I know I have so many ideas and so many conversations that just will be interesting. Like, you know, for example, dealing with competing reinforcers and how all the different reinforcement, where is their place and how they affect the mo emotions. And like, I know, I know we're gonna talk a little bit at some point again. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We we have we have one of our to follow her on um, on um, on our group page, um, uh, Christina. She called Christina Setibuli from uh, Singapore. She's very much into that now, uh, studying that. You know, we all have our specialties at the institute, right. um, and that that you mentioned there, it's her, her specialty. She's right into that now, doing some research. Uh, I think you could have some very interesting discussions with her about that too, yeah. Roger, thank you so much again and we'll be talking again. We will. Thank you, Ivan. Thank you. Thank you.